0: The Talking Point with Kathy Mosazana, weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday.
1: Welcome to the final hour of the show on The Talking Point. Coming up in this hour, we're focusing on the Maseru massacre. That's 40 years on. And last week, Friday, the 19th of December, marking um, the 40-year commemoration excuse me, commemoration of this massacre. And it's considered one of the bloodiest uh, cross-border raids by the then South African National Defense Force. And it took place years after a similar raid in Matola in Mozambique. Um, This conversation was also brought up by one of our listeners in the open line last week. And uh, after Nomzamo raised it, we also had several listeners that were saying, "Well, they actually have no idea uh, uh, of of what the the Maseru massacre is, or even what had transpired. So we've invited onto the show some of the survivors of that massacre to come and tell us in their own words what happened. Um, and the importance of, of remembering, but also recognizing um, the events of that fateful day. Pumlani Kubugeli is a, a survivor of the massacre, also a former guerrilla commander for, for MK. Pumlani, good morning to you.
2: Good morning, please.
1: Uh, Pumlana, I'm going to ask you just to try and speak a little bit louder for me. Uh, I'm not hearing you uh, as, as loudly as, as I should. Uh, let me also welcome Manyano Ondala, who is uh, a survivor of the massacre as well. Manyano, good morning. Good morning, Katie. Hello, Manyano.
0: Hello, okay, okay, good oh, morning.
1: there we go. All right, fantastic. I can hear you loud and clear. Uh, good morning and thank you so much for making time to be part of the conversation. Pumlani, let me begin with you because you were a little older at the time than Manyano may have been and you were a former guerrilla commander for Umkonto Sizwe. Tell us about the Maseru Massacre.
2: Uh, Thank you, Kevin. Can you hear me now?
1: Yes, that's much better. Thank you.
2: Okay. Yes, it was uh, on the 9th of December, 1982. You know, I had just arrived in Lesotho, you know, having skipped the country around July and joined the African National Congress. I was staying at a house in uh, Upper Tamayen, one of the locations there in the Soutu, the townships. Uh, I think it's probably a week or two weeks before the massacre. We were staying in a house called Cuba. Uh, in that house, we were about 15. We were visited by uh, Lesho Nolomului, who later became a general in the South African National Defense Force. Lesho Nolomului was one of the ANC uh, uh, representatives in Lesotho at the time. He visited us and informed us that there is information stating that the south african regime will be attacking us in lesotho that is uh, refugees so we are supposed to scatter and uh, seek other places of accommodation so that we, not, we are not we do not become a group target after that we we then Looked for places. It's not easy to look for places to stay, you know, in a foreign country, on your own, you know. So, but we did get a place to stay in Lower Tamai. That is myself and Shati uh, gufa and uh, Zondi and uh, Temba from Tanzania. Zondi was from uh, Cape Town. Uh, I think it was the four of us. So and others also they found their places. But in Cuba still, I think a about eight remained. Then on the ninth of December, in the evening of the eighth of December, we had something like gunshots, you know. I think it was around 2 3 in the morning. Hey yeah, there was a lot of firing, you know. Mm-hmm. And we thought it was uh, the forces of you know, in Lesotho there was an opposition party called the Lesotho Liberation Army. So they used to be attacked, you know, guerrilla attacks there
1: so 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 pumlani this would be taking place the day before the actual massacre this exchange of of of, of firearm
2: no it, uh, it it was the massacre itself but we were in another house okay you know so this thing happened on the 9th early hours of the morning oh okay yes so but since it was evening and we were a, a bit uh, far about you know from it you know in lower tamaya and it was happening in upper tamaya and in other places uh, you know i was 15 years old then and uh, together you know we, we were probably around 15, other 16. Shati was the eldest among us, I think he was 18. We said to him immediately when the sun started to rise around five o'clock, we said, go and check because, you know, we can't just go after that shooting. So Shati went and We had, it was roughly about five minutes after he had left, he came back running, hysterical, crying, you know, and he said, hey, the comrades have been killed. We quickly put on our clothes and went there. The first house that we passed by was a house belonging to some old man who came from the former trans and noble their house was bent to ashes their bodies were bent beyond recognition they apparently exploded a, a gas cylinder which they used for their meals and you know it was that just like that bent bent totally and people were already there, that is the Lesotho Nationals. Then we moved to the next house, which was Cuba, about 200 meters away from there. In Cuba, we saw the bodies of our comrades lying there, you know, they were shot at, they were all dead, you know. And uh, you could see that. The people, the act was so barbaric that they took shots at the pictures of Mandela, Oliver Tambo, Albert Lutulu, which were, were at the walls there. So, you know, they were all dead. I think in Cuba, it was probably about eight that were shot and killed, and one of them was killed on the outside. Uh, and we knew those people. I mean, we shared meals with them, we shared everything with them, and all of a sudden, to just, you know, be, be witness such a thing at a young, very young age, it was a very traumatic experience, you know. So we had to load those bodies onto a... Uh, a party, a government party, that took them to the mortuary. And we had to go to the mortuary. When we reached the mortuary, there were many other bodies. You know, as they say, it was uh, around 42 people who died there. I'm not sure, 42 or 43. So we had to wash those bodies because it was an overwhelming job for the moshwari staff, you know, and they were just lying on the floor. I mean, they, they couldn't be accommodated. You know, the moshwari was small. So it, it was that scene.
1: Pumlani, that's a lot for a young 15-year-old boy to have to go through to, to have to witness. When you try and and look back at that time and, and understand what it is that that carried you, um, were you just in a state of, of numbness? Was it adrenaline? How were you able to get what needed to be done done?
2: You know, hey, it was so overwhelming. I mean, we just kept on going, we, you know, it was adrenaline, we we were angry, we were, you know, and confused at the same time, you know. Yes, we have heard about the brutality of the regime, but we were not, we were never expecting something of that magnitude, you know, and, uh, you know, to say, really, after those days, we slept, literally slept in a church somewhere, you know, because even in the houses that we stayed, uh, we were chased away by the Lesotho residents because they feared that the regime was going to attack them too because it had also killed Lesotho nationals, you know. and. The the meals, because we used to be provided food by the ANC, but now we were scattered after that. Mm. So we had to be reorganized. Imagine the trauma of having to carry your small bag of clothing and look for a place to sleep, you know, sleeping. And I remember there was a night vigil in one house, and... uh, we saw the tent and decided to wait there at least they were going to be given meals after the, the you know the the vigil, you know, so that we could get some something to eat and at the same time to get a place to hide ourselves in that tent after they had left. You know? So yes, Kathy it was such it left us angry and broken, you know, my Mm -hmm. father had, my family had come, you know, to visit me during that period. I'm not sure about the month, probably around September or so. They came to Lesotho and my father emphasized that I had to go to school, you know, because I'm still young. But after that massacre, I said, my father must just forget I need to go and train and become you know a soldier and fight back
1: i I, yes. I suppose when one looks at just the sheer atrocities um that that you had ex, you had been exposed to um that is you, it's it's understandable that that would have been one of the responses Manyano, you were actually the, about the same age as as pumlani when that massacre took place. What do you remember about it, at least most prominently, so many years after the fact?
0: Thank you, Katie. Uh, As Pumlani has added to the fact that it was on a Wednesday night, I remember it so well because at the time I was doing my second year at secondary, I was at least to high school. And I had arrived in Lesotho actually early in 1979, I think on the 3rd of March. I completed my primary school in Lesotho, then proceeded to Lesotho High School in 1981. And in 1982, we had just closed. I think we closed on the 30th of November. We had finished our, we finished our exams on the 30th of November, and we were told not to return to school my siblings those my younger sisters and other kids of the combreze whom i used to fetch i was driving a kumbi 2000l which my father would drive at times take the kids to school but before that i would collect them so put them at one point so that my father just takes them to school however at that time my father was not even in the country so on the 8th on wednesday it was joy all over because now the primary School going kids were not going to wake up, not going to school the following morning. So it was joy. And as a result, they were playing until very, very late in the night. So I remember that everybody was happy that there's no school tomorrow. And even me, I'm not going to be getting up, trying to collect them from their uh, homes. On that evening, there was a comrade who was a friend of mine but quite old. We called him Sekumanona. I think he was the son of Utapuluane. I think they originate from Tomo. He had already been trained, so he was staying with other trained guerrillas and I was an acquaintance to them. So he would come and visit me. And that evening we took a long walk until very late at night. And Comrade Lishonolo, Comrade A, as we used to call him, would come to me and say, take me to my hiding place and bring the car tomorrow. I don't want anyone to know. In particular, these MK guys, they must not know where I am. So you come and, and and deliver me here. So that night he came and I was not there. Fortun- I say fortunately because the that car, w- is the one that would have exposed me that, okay, this car sparks underneath the window, therefore somebody is here who drives this car. So he came and I was not there. Then he went to Comrade Tex. Comrade Tex was also a trained guerrilla who later uh, vanished. I think he he went to, he, he actually sold us out. So it was given to him to drive Comrade A and bring the car back to me but he found an opportunity to actually use the car to do his nice things. So there was no car that particular night. So I was there. At around half past 12, I suppose, I was staying uh, just next to a shop at Kwadi. So people would just pass by in our yard because it was not fenced, and some would be coming to buy at the shop, then proceed. To join the main road from our yard but mm. at night the shop was closed so they would just use that road because it was better off than the main road
1: Manana, so this, I, I, I'm, yeah. I'm going to pause you there. I'll give you a chance to cont- to continue um, when we come back from the latest news headlines. Uh, it's now 11.30. We're taking a look at the Maseru massacre. It's 40 years since that massacre took place. We're speaking to survivors about what happened, what their recollection of that night or the day of that massacre is.
0: The Talking Point with Kathy Motlathana, weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday.
1: We continue our conversation on The Talking Point, reflecting on the Maseru massacre, um, Pumlani Kubekile, Pumlani Kuvukile. <laughs> I'm getting tongue-tied now. <laughs> Pumlani Kubukeli is one of our guests is a survivor of that massacre and Manyano Ondala is also uh, another survivor of that massacre. So Manyano, you were telling us about the moments then that I think you or those around you would have come under siege uh, as a result of those raids.
0: Oh yes, K. T. Yeah. So in that uh, morning of of the ninth, I said it was it was around half past twelve. There was a, a sound of a car which was irritating because it was too noisy. You know when your exhaust is leaking and silencer. So it was making this noise, and I was tempted to look through the window and see who they were. But a voice which I don't know it just there was that voice that said, "Look, man, mind your own business. Let them. What you call?" proceed so I lay back it was hot and I was half naked so I just lay back on my bed and immediately there were gunshots on my door (laughs) and I was wondering what's happening now what if I die but there was another gunshot and my door was vibrating I quickly I quickly realized what was happening remember uh, uh, what you call Pumran said they were unless that the was may attack. So I immediately it immediately triggered that, that okay, these are the boas. I jumped off my bed, took cover, lay flat on the floor because that's the best position when anyone is firing to lie flat. So I lay flat on my stomach and my fears were confirmed because the shooting continued relentlessly. And I was now trembling and you know I thought it was a movie is this happening to me they were shooting making noise shouting names that i tried to make sense of or is there any name that i can perhaps identify there all those names finango this that until uh they broke my window there was a main window and they looked and they put their clothes in, they looked through. The other bed which they saw was was still made because it was by my siblings, my sisters, who were sleeping in another room with my mother. Since I, my father was not there, was out of the country, So they were sleeping with my mother. And because it was hot, they were sleeping on top of blankets too in that other room. So I had jumped off. And there was no mat under my bed because the mat was not big enough to cover the whole room. So where there was no mat, my bed was there. So I tried to pull the blanket so that I can lie flat on, the, on my stomach, but on top of the blanket so that I don't feel cold. But I, because they continued to shoot, I stopped pulling the blanket. And they shot and shot, and they said, look, there's no, ANC come out. I said, no. And I kept quiet, and they looked, they said, no, there's no one. So the white man said, look, there's no one. Let's go. Then the black man says, no, let's open the door. So the white man said, okay, check the key. And I started fearing because we were taught to always keep the key crossed so that no, if someone comes with the duplicate, they, must, they should have to push it first, force it down before they can put their key to open. So I was trembling now that they're going to find the key, and it's a confirm, confirmation that there is someone inside. For some reason, as they continued to shoot, the stopped vibrating. I only realized later that that key had actually fallen at the time when they were busy kicking and
2: trying mm-hmm. to open
0: it. Mm-hmm. And when they finally opened the door, they walked in and said, if there's anyone here, come out. It's only the that, that this realized that These guys are not sure if there's anyone here. Mm-hmm. So I lay flat, but I said to myself, look, If I come out, what is that they're going to do to me, which is less? They're going to kill me anyway. If they don't, they're going to torture me to try to use me as a sellout, point at my comrades, do this and that, something which I was never prepared to do. So I said, look, Solomon Mashangu died, and many others have died for this freedom. So should I. It's better to die for your country being a hero. Mm -hmm. I said, look, let me try, let me just keep my eyes closed, and I waited for the bullet to come, you see. And there were shots on the other side as well. And I said to myself, now my mother and my sisters are dead. Mm. And I was at peace with it. I said, look, they've died for the just cause. I'm not going to cry. And they said, if you are ANC, come out. So I said, okay, it means I'm in the right organization, the ANC. If the boys can come all the way to hunt aliens for ANC people, then ANC is the right organization. So I was confident that I was at the right place. Uh, after some time, they left. And I was thinking, should I come out and run? But run where? Because I knew my surroundings very well that there was nowhere to hide. Mm. So well, my I remained. Can...
1: Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry to come in there because I'm also just mindful of um, the fact that we we don't have much time left. Okay, fine. Uh, yeah. for, for this conversation, but that moment of of coming up from hiding under that bed and having to confront what awaited you in the rest of the house that relates to your mother and and your sister. Talk to me about that.
0: Hey. So once dawn, I could hear voices, people gathered outside, shouting at my name, Mañano, Mañano, Mañano. And I understand why they, no one came, because my door was shuttered, there were holes on in in the wall, my window was everything, so the curtains were uh, all over the show. So nobody wanted to actually come in and confirm that is actually dead. So and I also didn't know whether those people were genuine because we had already been alarmed or thought that at times the comrade will come and say, only to find that the comrade is can't point it. Or it's not the comrade you thought it was. It was actually a, 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 he or she was an out. So we had to make sure. So when I did finally come out, there was my mother. There were my two sisters. And I said to myself, how, oh, guys, are you alive? So. They were also shocked to see me walking, but I was limping up because I had a cramp, you see? So I said, but where were they shooting? So my mother said, no, they actually shot one bullet on our door and quickly opened the window and looked at the bed. We were, we were taken cover just below the, the, the window. So their eyes, the angle of their eyes could not see right below the window. They only saw the bed which was made, you see. But the shots that were fired were actually at our at 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 her next door, there was a lady called Josenda. I think more than hundred cartridges was spent there. And next to them, a family of three—a mother, father, and the child—were all killed. The Lesotho citizens. Josenda, sure. so for some reason, survived. And when I asked her, "How did you survive with all these bullet holes mm. here?" She, she said, "I was in my in, in my wardrobe." Mm. Said, so. That's a shocker. It was a, a a pleasant one because my mother was alive. Who might already succumb to the fact that they are no longer alive? But I told myself I won't I won't cry because wow. they, they they died for freedom. That's, that's what I told myself. But there they were. Well,
1: what what a vivid recollection of the the events of that day as as it relates to you, uh, Manyano, as uh, as a survivor of that massacre. I've got two minutes left of this conversation, Pumla.ni okay. Forty years on, forty years on. What is it that this country, that this government, needs to know about you as survivors, but also I think just the the extent to which you know this is is given uh, attention as part of of, of our history. Thank
2: mm-hmm. you, you still don't...
1: Yes, I'm still here, <laughs> Pumlani.
2: Oh, okay. You know, uh, I do not think the government is uh, doing a good job, you know, in uh, revisiting or commemorating such uh, events such occasions, you know, or these things that made such an impact, you know, to the international community to make them aware of the brutality of the regime. I think our government is supposed to take these massacres like this and put them in the curriculum so that the children can learn, you know, because if you can look now, what is happening in our country, we are slowly drifting backwards towards, you know, a a situation where the youth could easily mobilize themselves and want to take up arms and fight, you know, that is civil war. We are slowly drifting towards that because we are not teaching our children what happened during those years of apartheid. And at the same time, our government is supposed to be championing, you know, human rights, and at the same time, ensuring that our people are empowered. Sure. Because if you do not empower your people, that is economically, then it's becoming a, a disaster. It's a disaster in waiting, you know. Yeah. So I'm saying we would, it wouldn't be nice to see people going back to death bad old days of apartheid. But that is exactly what will happen if we do not teach our people, our children, that this is what happened. And we are still there. I mean, the people who survived. But, KP Ke- right. Ke- I can tell you that mm. there is nothing at all, you know, that is happening. It's Is it for the first time? So I say, yes. The first, the, the first time I went to Freedom Park, but it was about my history in general. All right. But it um, is the first time yeah. that I've been interviewed about this massacre.
1: Pumla,ni I, I think that you know what we did is we did not give this conversation um, enough time. Just based on what you both have had to share in this hour, and I think there's certainly room for us to revisit this conversation around the Maseru massacre uh, that took place 40 years ago and just uh, the accounts of what happened and most importantly, um, what needs to be done now to ensure that the lives that were lost were not in vain and that the families that have been affected also feel that they are heard, that their story has been represented. Unfortunately, we're going to come uh, to the end of the conversation here. Uh, we can try and and have a part two of this conversation, actually. Uh, This is also where we leave it on the talking point for today. Up next is going to be the book reading.